Welcome to my first newsletter in over a year. Did anything happen while I've been gone? My latest book, Unconditional Communication, Shaping Better Relationships and Bigger Futures Together, will be published on August 22, 2020. As I was completing the final drafts of the book, the COVID-19 crisis unleashed itself upon the world, and so by the time it got to mid-May, I felt compelled to record an expanded version of the audiobook with some additional content reflecting on the need for real connection in a socially distanced world. And then George Floyd was killed. I resisted the temptation to record yet another edition because I knew that other voices in our community needed the space to speak out first. And I also realised that the core message in my book was going to be relevant for any situation where human beings feel the need to be against one another and against their true nature. And a little later on in the audio version of this newsletter, I will give you that current expression of what I think that core message is. But first, some other news. If there is anything I can do to help you or your company, give me a call. If these are unprecedented times, then I believe we need to implement unprecedented approaches to change, to try and reflect the depth and complexity of what is going on here. Anyone around here who isn't confused just doesn't understand what's going on, as Edward R. Murrow once famously said about a different situation. And something of COVID-19's depth and complexity can't have been sent just to show us that we can use Zoom well when we need to. So let's talk. In the meantime, back to the email version of this newsletter. I hope you enjoy some provocative reading that I've linked to there. I have published over the last few weeks my first ever white paper called Globalization's Second Act, and there's a link to that. I wrote a very well-received essay on the COVID-19 crisis as a hero's journey and the implications for businesses hoping to emerge stronger than ever before if they are willing to make this an upward spiral and not a circle. And there's a link to that essay too. I have two new brochures, one on my communication workshops and one on my coaching programs, available for download here. Or rather, in the email. And by the way, before you ask, we have all, always, been operating in the virtual sphere, even before there was an internet. So yes, all of these programs operate in the virtual space, as well as that thing we used to do, which is gathered together in the workshop space of a hotel. Life is designed to be an upward spiral and not a series of circles. If we're saying we've been here before, then we're not learning, or we're not learning fast enough. And we have to pay attention. There's always three levels of stories, or storytelling. The first is that leaders should have the skills and the capacity to invite people to listen to compelling stories about the future. That's one of our jobs. That's level one. But on its own, it's not enough. Level two, you have to realize that you are a story. And you have to be aware of the story that other people have about you because you want it to be aligned with the story that you are telling 
You ask if there's anything in your background story which is distracting people or making them not want to hear you and your truth, then it's going to get in the way. So number two, you are a story. And then number three, the biggest one of all, we all live inside stories. We don't think of them as stories. We think of them as reality, this thing that we are living in day to day. But they're stories, and these stories give our lives shape and momentum and purpose and meaning or not. But even when there's a sense of no meaning or purpose, that's a story. So the third level of storytelling is the ability to understand and tap into the collective stories swimming around any organization or institution or indeed individual mind and try and find out how we can bring them together in something which is going to bring us all into the future together. Do take care on your journey and let's speak again soon. All the best. Much love. David. So, you thought I'd gone, but no, here I am, again. Because you people who did the audio version of the newsletter, you get this bonus, which is basically what I would have said had I done a second new version of the audiobook to reflect what was going on with the George Floyd killing and everything that came after it which is still rippling through society now. And this is what I would have said. In 1989, Gary Zukav published a book called The Seat of the Soul. To say that it was a worldwide bestseller doesn't really begin to describe what happened. For a time, it was number one on the New York Times list for 31 weeks and elsewhere on that list for three years. For a time, it was everywhere. It was an enormous success, like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was an enormous success in that same period. One of the paragraphs in Zukov's book which spoke to me then and which speaks to me all the more in our fragmented and fractious society is this. He writes, If you wish the world to become loving and compassionate, Become loving and compassionate yourself. If you wish to diminish fear in the world, diminish your own. These are the gifts you can give. The fear that exists between nations is a macrocosm of the fear that exists between individuals. The perception of power as external that separates nations is the same that exists between individuals. And the love, clarity and compassion that emerge within the individual that chooses consciously to align itself with its soul is the same that will bring sexes, races, nations and neighbours into harmony with each other. There is no other way. That's what he wrote in 1991. We are currently faced with the breakdown of we in our fragmented communities, in our polarised media, in our distrust of institutions, and in our vindictive public discourse. More and more there is a feeling around us of separation and discord, of blame and making wrong. And in this current world, being an unreformed troublemaker, I could tip Gary Zukav's quotation on its head and say this. 
If you wish the world to become bitter and mean, then don't look at those things inside yourself. Eventually, some leader will come along to make you feel good and strong about your bitterness and meanness. But that leader won't be the cause of the bitterness and meanness, simply a gardener who has watered what's already inside you. You'll only be playing with what's inside you and what you've already been spreading in your community. Or perhaps a good, strong leader will come along promising to make changes of law, policy and structure in the external world that will somehow overwhelm our own bitterness and meanness. It won't. Because true change doesn't happen outside in. It happens inside out. This is not some airy-fairy spiritual nonsense. It's as real as the teeth in your mouth. What I find airy-fairy nonsense is that in the year 2020, with all the potential available to us as a species on this planet, but with now locked in old circular societal problems coming around on us once again, we still find ourselves locked into the desire for a better leader out there, only to be disappointed by whatever we get. As Arnold Mindell once said, we don't need more leadership. We need more awareness. The tools for holding large-scale conversations that matter in any neighbourhood or society, and thereby tapping into the collective wisdom, experience and willingness of the very groups faced by the urgent need for those conversations, are already with us and have been for decades. Some of you reading this or hearing this will have experienced such processes in workshops that I've facilitated for you. I've seen those processes create profound change, partly because the ownership of a shared way forward is now taken up by those who inadvertently contributed to the existing situation they no longer want. These processes invite all stakeholders into the conversation, particularly those voices which are often marginalised by traditional hierarchical power structures. These processes embody the true definition of transformation, not as business tends to use it as meaning really, really big change, I mean bigger than the change we did last year, but in the authentic sense of transformation as a decisive shift in ownership and cause. The reason we don't have these collective conversations more widely is because usually the leader at the front of the room prefers all the attention being on them and likes the illusion of control that it appears to give them, give them. And I believe that as a society we need to be courageous enough to break our addiction to looking at to the front of the room for information, inspiration or instruction. A certain amount of those I things are necessary and they're important inputs to the work but they are ultimately ineffectual, a fourth eye, on their own. We need to turn to one another, stop having conversations about change, and hold intentional conversations that cause change to happen together. Much love, David. Thanks for listening.